Welcome to Personal Finance Second Podcast Show with me, Content Editor Ruan Uester. This is our first financial planning episode, a monthly feature where we talk about where, why, and when money matters. Whether it's saving for a rainy day or retirement, we've got you covered. The Personal Finance Podcast is available on all major platforms such as Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, and will also be loaded on the local outfit, iono.fm, and our website. But please keep an eye up I out for upcoming shows on www.personalfinance.co.za. This podcast might be supported by advertising. Last week was World's Week, the annual awareness campaign supported by the Department of Justice and various fraternities within the legal profession. The laws involved in the wrapping up of a deceased estate is long and onerous and includes the Wills Act, the Interstate Succession Act and legislation that prescribes estate duties, just to name a few. But we will leave all that technicalities to the experts for now and focus our time on what happens when a person passes away without a valid will. And it's much more interesting than you think. My guest today is David Thompson. He's the senior legal advisor at Sunlum Trust, and who tells me that their research shows that nearly half half of people who don't have a will either think they don't have enough assets to have uh, that warrants a will, or they just hadn't had time to get around to it. Welcome, David. Thank you very much, Ron, and thank you for the invitation. It goes without saying that a will is an essential first step in estate planning. But first, perhaps tell our listeners just who Sunlam Trust is, what they do, and why it matters. Sunlam Trust is a limited liability company focusing on fiduciary matters. We're part of the broader Sunlam Life Insurance Limited Group. Uh, We, as a business, draft wills. We wind up deceased estates. We set up uh, trusts. We manage trusts. And we also uh, manage funds for widows and orphans. So those would be your typical beneficiary funds, umbrella trusts, and guardian trusts. Anyone can draw up a will. There's no law preventing one to do so. I can do it, my mother can. There are many options available online. You can even buy a template at the CNA if you have to. But whether the master of the court will consider it valid is another story. What boxes need to be ticked according to the Wills Act for a will to be considered valid? Right, the person making the will uh, must be 16 or over, must be of of sound mind. Uh, They must not be under any physical or mental duress. When they make their will, it must be their free and absolute choice. The will must also be either written out or typed out on on hard copy paper. It must be signed with a so-called wet signature, so electronic signature is not uh, permitted in terms of law, and in fact, that's the case in most parts of the world. Uh, The person making the will should sign each page. Uh, There should be two independent witnesses, people that do not inherit uh, from the will and also who did not write out the will themselves, very important. They must also sign at the end of the will, although I would recommend they also sign each page. And all three of them, the person making the will and his or her two witnesses must all sign together. Uh, It's important that your will appoint someone to wind up your estate. Uh, It's important that you set out exactly who your things must go to. And uh, yeah, we can discuss uh, more detail if you wish to. But those are the most important aspects, I think. 
if COVID's strict lockdown restrictions taught us everything, anything, it's that the Wills Act did not keep up with the times. People were on isolation, mm. their loved ones were sick, and they were unable to kind of tick these boxes that you just explained. You know, what were the, the flaws in the law that was drafted way back in 1953 that was exposed during COVID's lockdown? Yeah, I think people's major difficulty was having access uh, to uh, to witnesses and also financial advisors and attorneys not being able to get to their clients. But at the same time, the electronic era and email provided a solution for that. And as I said to people when they were struggling with that, I said, look, just take your will to a table outside in your garden and stand near the fence and, and two witnesses can peep over the fence with their masks on. They can watch you sign and you can pass it over the fence to them and they can then sign it and you wouldn't be breaking the law. So, yes, there were some practical difficulties. Uh, those have fortunately passed. These were things that were obviously not foreseen in 1953. But at this stage, uh, electronic signatures are not regarded as, as, as valid. I think the biggest problem, though, wasn't so much with the Wills Act. It was the fact that financial advisors and intermediaries weren't able to get to their clients. People weren't able to sit down with their financial advisor and have an attorney and have a, a really good conversation about their estate planning. So financial, that's why financial planning is important because you, mm. never, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Exactly. You've been in the game for a very long time. Do you think we need to start thinking differently? And I'm just talking about the pens and the paperwork here, about how we, how we get together, how we engage with our financial advisors. And maybe, I know wills aren't um, 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 regarded as a legal contract, but maybe we should start the conversation and then see if, if, if we need to make some amendments in case something like this happens again. No, absolutely. I think it's it's, it's critical. And during the, the lockdown period, uh, we as Sunlam Trust made a submission to the Law Practice Council, which they gladly received, making suggestions as to how the Electronic Communications and Transactions Act and the Wills Act uh, can be amended so that wills are not excluded from that electronic uh, act. There were also submissions by one or two other professional bodies. And uh, the Law Practice Council, I think, is definitely looking at it, but they would have to make a submission and the Law Commission would have to take that matter to Parliament. It's interesting that there were very few jurisdictions around the world that, that if any, that really relaxed the rules regarding uh, wet signatures. You know, the problem is, is that there's always the danger of fraud not knowing did the person really sign this, you know, were the witnesses really present? I mean, there are things that one can use. One can use Zoom and Teams. You know, I could be signing my will on a camera and I could have two witnesses who are not physically with me, but in some remote location could be looking to see that I'm signing it. But then I've got to get that will almost simultaneously to them for them to sign it as well. Uh, and 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 there's just difficulties as to how one's going to prove that that it's all the same document and when they sign. But technology definitely has a solution. Uh, there are a lot smarter people. So I believe that, that the Law Commission really needs to seriously consider this because there are ways clearly of proving when documents were electronically signed and by whom they were, were signed. But, uh, you know, although uh, approaches were also made to, to the, uh, the master... 
uh, and the Minister of Justice during this period to relax certain aspects of the Wills Act uh, that did not receive with any favourable response. They probably considered the fact that lockdown wouldn't last very long. Of course, it lasted a lot longer than we thought, but thankfully we are out of it now. But yes, hopefully in the future, the Wills Act will be brought up to date with the, with the 21st century. Let's get back to the paperwork. One of our readers wrote to personal finance saying her husband died and they couldn't find his will. Mm. She knew he had one, but she didn't know where he stored it. Mm. And, um, what is your suggestion in this regard? Um, should we have more than one copy? Should we have different people keep it around? And then a second piece of paper that's also very important is a prenuptial, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so look, uh, just coming to your latter point, the, the anti-nuptial contract is something that you need to put together with a special attorney called a notary, but that you've got to get done before you get married. Uh, if you get married and you haven't done a prenup, you've got to approach the high court and explain and give good reasons to the judge as to why you didn't think about it before you got married. As far as finding a will is concerned, yeah, this is a huge problem. There are one or two countries around the world where when you do a will, you've got to register it with the authorities. So the courts have a record that Dave Thompson or Ron Euster has got a will and where it is. But those are smaller countries with smaller populations. In South Africa, there's no obligation to file your will anywhere or to put it anywhere. We offer a safe custody um, uh, service where if the financial advisor or a family member approaches us and says, have you got a will for Dave Thompson ID number XYZ, uh, provided they have, we, we tick all the boxes as far as the Poppy Act is concerned, you know, we will be able to show them the will and we'll be able to find the will. So if someone approaches us and says, we think a family member's got a will with Sunlum, we should be able to find it. But I've also had friends whose, whose husbands passed away and they had no idea where their husband's will was. Recently it happened, a really good friend of mine died and I think it took his wife at least three weeks contacting all the banks that ever dealt with, all the lawyers that ever dealt with. He just never thought to tell her. So it's absolutely important. You need to tell your, 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 your spouse or your, your children or your grandchildren or your financial advisor or attorney where your will is. Uh, they don't have to know what's in the will, but it's critical that you have have the will filed in a, in a safe place where people can 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 find it because there is no central uh, register of wills in south africa so we're talking about your spouse needs to know where your will is mm. firstly but secondly your spouse also needs to know what it means if she's married in community he or she is married in community or property Correct. or outside of it why is that an important distinction when a deceased person's estate is being dissolved yeah, very good question. The default regime for everybody in, in, in South Africa, uh, apart from um, Muslim marriages, is in community of property. So when you get married, if you don't do a prenup, you're auto automatically married in community of property, which means that everything you own, everything that she owns, all goes together in one undivided pot. And when the marriage ends by death or divorce, each party is entitled to half. So if I'm married in community of property and I say in my will, I leave my entire estate to my children, automatically when I die, my entire estate is only half, half my house, effectively half my car, half my business, because my spouse is automatically entitled to the other half and no one can take that uh, away from her. That's her right in terms of being married in community of property. If you get married out of community of property, in other words, before you get married, you go to a notary who's a special type of lawyer and you draw up an anti-nuptial contract where you say, 
we have separate estates entirely. There's no sharing of profit and loss. Then what's yours is yours and his is his, uh, and near the twain shall meet. So um, that's the difference. And that's why when you do a will, um, and for example, you had an, uh, I saw an example there where someone had just been living with a, a fellow, a boyfriend, and she'd said, well, you know, I'll leave 20% of my estate to, to boyfriend John uh, and the rest of my estate to my children, fully expecting the children then to get 80% of what she owns. She subsequently married the gentleman, never changed her will. So on her death, the children got a heck of a lot less than what they thought they were going to get. And obviously, in my experience, people can get very upset when that type of thing happens. Your example explains that drafting a will initially should be a relatively easy and expensive process, mm. depending on your circumstances. But it's important to, to keep up with your times or whether your, circum your circumstances change. Absolutely. But what are some of the pitfalls that you should consider? This is now when you are just, you, don't, you have the basics, you, you know, you complete a will, application form, you prepare a list of assets and mm. liabilities, write up instructions on what must happen, and you check your tick boxes. But what are some of the pitfalls that some people not, won't necessarily think of, number one, and when is it? advisable to rather go to an expert to put, uh, put your affairs together? Yeah, look, sometimes people nominate or appoint someone as an executor who's a total layperson who doesn't have the right experience. And um, unless that person is a spouse, uh, the master of the high court can refuse to appoint that person as, as executor and will insist that he or she goes to an attorney. And the whole thing is to do with, because, you know, attorneys have fidelity cover and lay people don't, and um, the master might exist, insist on the layperson executor getting a bond of security, which is incredibly expensive. Other mistakes you see is that people try and rule from the grave with respect. They say, for example, I leave this property to my children who might be three or four years old at the time. It must go into a trust until they're 21, but it can never be sold. That becomes a nightmare sometimes. The children may not want to live there. The area might go down. It might become intolerable to live there. The trust may have no cash to pay rates and taxes. And ultimately, we've seen you know, properties just fall apart because they aren't able to, to be maintained. The other thing is people fail to nominate uh, a guardian for their children. If there's a natural parent, that parent obviously steps in as the guardian. But if you're a single mom or dad, uh, it's very important to nominate someone who's going to take care of your, of your children and make those important decisions up to the age of 18. Other uh, mistakes you see in wills is that people nominate a whole lot of bequests and legacies, but they don't deal with the residue. In other words, they say the piano to this person, the business to that person, uh, the house to that person, but they forget about everything else and they don't actually nominate anyone to get what's called the residue. In other words, the residue mops up what's left in your bank account, the proceeds of, of maybe some insurance policies where there are no living uh, beneficiaries. You might have some cryptocurrency. Uh, you might have a, a, a small business or something like that. So it's important to think after you've decided, you know, my trusted employee is going to get that, my son will get that, my daughter's going to get that. What are you going to do with the residue? Are you going to split it up equally amongst people? You must deal with it. Otherwise, what happens is we see some people die partially testate, but partially intestate. And that can get very, very uh, complicated. Also, you see where people don't get two witnesses or they don't sign each page or their signature differs on each page. Sometimes the master will say, I'm sorry, I can't accept this will. It looks like a forgery. I'm not happy with the signature. And it's also very important to make a note of who the witnesses are. Because if the matter has to go to court to prove that, that, that I, Dave Thompson, actually signed my will, 
because there's no maybe in our dispute. My family says, you know, by the time Dave signed his will, that we see this, he had dementia, he wasn't able to understand what he was doing, and now we've been disinherited, and he wasn't thinking straight. Then you need to find those witnesses, and they need to give affidavits and sometimes go to court to say, no, 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 when Dave signed this will, it definitely was him. And he was compass mentors, according to us. So, you know, these are just things that, that people don't always think about. You talked about residue. Let's just quickly talk about mm. the, the opposite. Sunam Trust found that over 46% of the city of the mm. state said administers have insufficient cash to cover all debts, taxes, yeah. duties. You know, this includes the cost of transfer of property, mm. you know, um, paying the executive fee, things like that. So the big question is, one of our readers asked, is it possible for beneficiaries or spouses to inherit the debt? No, it's not possible. Debts have got to be settled uh, on, on death. Um, and we know that uh, this is a requirement of, of all estates. Uh, there would be very few uh, creditors who would agree to transferring uh, a debt from one person to the other. Um, you might get cases where there's a mortgage bond and, and uh on the person's death, the spouse and the children are still able to make the repayments and therefore the bank won't foreclose and they can apply to the bank to have the property transferred to them together with the mortgage bond. It effectively means they're going to take out a new mortgage bond, but they would have to prove that they can financially afford uh, the mortgage. But otherwise, no, you can't you can't bequeath debts to, 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 to people. Uh, those debts must be paid. And if your debts exceed your assets on your death, your estate is then rendered insolvent. There's a special process that has to follow. And then your creditors will be paid out in due course a small percentage of their claim. But the insolvent estate is very different to the way a normal estate is wound up. And and the problem with, with that is, is that it would be many years, many years before the heirs ever receive anything. So it's very important to have some life insurance paying into your estate. Uh, if you don't have, let's say someone has a lot of money in money market or fixed deposit, they've done their estate planning and they can see, okay, my estate duty, executor's fees, conveyancing fees, master's fees, uh, appraisal fees for special assets will be approximately you know, 500,000 or something like that. I've got sufficient liquidity to, to pay that, that's fine. But for most people, they are asset rich and income poor. Uh, and, and, and on their death, their income ends, their annuity ends, their pension ends. There's no more income coming into the estate. They just have physical, physical assets. But now there are fees to be paid. Plus, a lot of people haven't had their income taxes not up to date. Their capital gains tax has to be paid on death. The executor's got to find cash from somewhere. And the last thing you want to do is to have to sell assets. Sometimes you go to the heirs and say, please pay in. And, and they are often you know, willing to do that when they can see that the estate has to be wound up, but it's not really pleasant. And I don't think many people would, would consider that, you know, gee, when I die, uh, my executor is going to have to go and get a whole lot of money from my wife and kids, and they're going to have to pay in so they can pay my taxes for me. I mean, that's, that's not really the way to go. You're not leaving a good legacy there. Uh, so it's very important to, to, when you do your estate planning, is there enough cash to pay? And also, if you're leaving stuff into a trust for children, so let's say your children are minors and you want to put certain things into a trust for them to get the capital, get the property freehold when they're only, say, 21 or 25, that, that testamentary trust must receive enough cash as well to pay the rates and taxes and the levies uh, because clearly your children with their minors until they get a job, they wouldn't be able to pay those. And, you know, you may well have nominated your uncle or your friend to be guardian of your children 
but are you really going to expect him to carry all the expenses as well? Uh, that's 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 unlikely. David, I'm going to wrap it up with one point I want you to drive down mm. for our listeners. If you die without a will, and, and, and this people need to understand, what happens and why is it such a pain and a problem? Okay. You die without a will, the Intestate Succession Act will apply. So we've got a good, well-developed um, body of jurisprudence that deals with uh, how intestacy works. But there are fixed rules as to who will inherit. So you don't have any control over who's going to inherit your estate. Basically, the estate either all goes to the spouse or it goes in shares to your spouse and your and your children, failing whom your estate goes up to your parents. And this really, if, you know, particularly if you're living in a, in a relationship with somebody, you've got a long-term relationship with them, you've had, you've had children with them, but you haven't got married, then you end up not catering for that person. And that person will then ultimately need to claim against the estate. There could be long drawn out litigation, claims for maintenance um, and all sorts of things. The law is evolving, trying to catch up with the modern era. But at the moment, it's a little bit behind. So you don't have control over who's going to wind up your estate either. It, you're going to create a lot of upset because the first thing I find when, when somebody dies and that people have got over the trauma and they're busy organizing the funeral, they want to know where's the will? What happens now? What happens to dad's business? Who's going to get the business? Who's going to take over the business? If you don't have a will, we can't say anything to them. We say, well, look, it all depends now. You know, it all depends. We're going to have to find out who are all the relatives, what claims do they have? So this is the problem. Generally, it'll take a lot longer. Uh, it won't make any difference to the costs, but there's a lot of uncertainty that 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 plays a role. So um, I wouldn't recommend it. I would recommend that you put together uh, a will uh, for the reasons that I that I've mentioned, and particularly for people that are are living together with another person, uh, because the intestate law of succession doesn't help those people. It, it's still against them. Parliament has got to change the law, but they've got two years to change it and generally found, you know, these things take a lot longer to change. Like we saw with the Customary Marriages uh, Amendment Act, it took a lot longer than we thought. So you just create a lot of uncertainty for, for, for people. It was an absolute pleasure speaking to you, David, and we have to continue to continue have similar conversations on our financial planning series with Sunlam Trust of the Personal Finance Podcast in the future. Thanks, any of our listeners or readers have any questions or remarks on this episode or other related estate planning topics, please email us on personalfinance at inl.co.za or follow us on Twitter or Facebook at PersonFinZA. Until next time, this is Ruan Uester for Financial Planning and the Personal Finance Podcast.